All right, Sando. We got to stay six feet apart for this segment and do uh, set a proper example for social distancing. I know, I know you're going to want to come hug me at some point. So I'm cool with that. You cannot hug me. Yeah, I, I know. I want to. But like before my mind was even able to get to that point, I was wondering, why do you have a tape measure in the first place? I got tools, man. I'm a handy man, guy. You are not a handyman. Yes, Lies, cap. No, you're no, not. I am. Anyways, can no. you open the service? Let's get this thing going. Absolutely. What's up? Welcome to Cornerstone Church Online. We are so happy that you're here with us this weekend. And, and let me tell you, if you didn't know this already, my name's Sando, and we're a family here at Cornerstone. And if you didn't know that, you do now, and you're part of that family. And families complement each other's hair. And Chris, your hair you like has hair stayed right wonderful and pristine shape over the time of this quarantine. How have you done that? My wife cuts my hair. So she's kept it pretty clean. Oh. Every two weeks, she'll trim it up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, how about you? How that's are you a, doing with that? Well, yeah, mine has not been as successful. <laughs> Look at that. Um, yeah, I ordered some uh, clippers online and kind of cut it myself. Uh -huh. And this is four weeks out. So imagine what it looked I bet like. I can't four... wait for your barber to open. Oh, gosh. I can't wait for it to reopen. And, and speaking of things reopening, like we've been getting some questions recently about Cornerstone reopening. Can you speak yeah, to that a little I mean, bit? I, I can't wait. Everyone can't wait till we can all gather together again. I know we miss it. Um, and I was actually, I was really worried um, when we first couldn't meet, that, those first couple weekends when we weren't able to gather together again, um, what this was going to do to our church and how this was going to affect the movement of the gospel. And although it's been really hard and there's so many parts of this that I do not like and it is not as good, I've also been pleasantly surprised at how the gospel of Jesus Christ, it keeps going. It's mm. not closed. You can't slow it down. And we've seen that in so many ways as our reach as a church has able, been able to expand. And as we've seen new ministries pop up um, and ways of coming around people and helping people, um, I've just been, as hard as it is, we're not closed. Mm. The church is mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. We're seeing church happen in all sorts of different places. And things happen that maybe we never would have been able to accomplish right. if it wasn't for the situation we find ourselves in. So we don't have a reopening plan because we're already open, but we do have some strategies for beginning to gather together. Again, Ooh, we'll call right. it a regathering plan. Oh, I like that. Anyways, um, we're gonna be sharing more about this with you over the next couple weeks. Um, some strategies we have, and we're not sure about timing. We're still figuring all that out, uh, but we'll keep talking with you all more about when we can begin to regather together again. Mm. You know what that felt like? What? I felt like a hug with words. Did it? You like that? Yeah. It was very, made me feel very warm oh, inside. Good. So I'm thank you for did. that. Yeah. And, and speaking of things that are happening this month, like May is also a very important month. It's Foster Awareness Month. And that's been a huge part of Cornerstone's history, our DNA, a way for us to express the gospel in, in one of the most powerful ways that we probably do. So can you speak to a little bit of what that history has yeah, been I like Yeah, I love at our Foster church? Awareness Month. Um, this is a huge priority for us as a church for over the last 10 years uh, we've prioritized uh, the foster care system as one of the areas where we can have a really big impact. And we've seen that. We've seen that impact in so many ways. And it's close to my heart because both of my boys, we adopted through the Contra Costa County uh, foster care system. Um, but we have great relationships with both counties um, in the East Bay. And uh, so we just wanted to call the attention to this ministry. Um, and especially right now, because since we've been sheltered in place, um, life has gotten even more difficult for foster kids mm -hmm. uh, because oftentimes they're not in great environments. And when you're sheltered in place in those environments, um, things can get even more difficult. And so we wanted to call your attention to that and call you to prayer, first of all. But um, there's so many ways that people can help and volunteer in our foster care ministries. And uh, whether it's small things that you can do to support a foster family 
or becoming a foster family, which is a really big thing, um, and everything in between, you can help. Um, so there's so many ways to serve at Cornerstone Fellowship. And if you want to serve in any way, we're asking you to text the word serve to the number right below us. And we're gonna, it'll send you a form. You can fill out that form and our team will follow up with you and they'll help you figure out ways that you can serve, whether that's in our foster care ministry or in another ministry at Cornerstone. But we want as many people to be able to step up and serve and find that meaning and purpose, especially in this season right now. And uh, Sando, I thought it'd be good as we highlight uh, Foster Awareness Month um, for you to pray for the foster system and the kids in the system and the families. Um, we should all pray together for that because uh, it's, it's really an important ministry for us. Yeah, I'd be honored to. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in Jesus' name, Lord, and we just lift up these precious foster children to you, Lord, who maybe are experiencing abuse or neglect or just difficult home circumstances, Lord. I pray first that you would cover them with protection, Lord, with the protection of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you would remind them of just how loved they are and that you would bring people in their lives to come alongside of them and care for them, Lord, and show them what family looks like and show them what, what the example of parents that embody their Heavenly Father look like, Lord. And we also just pray for the families that are navigating this season, Lord, for uh, behavioral issues that might be going on for parents who are close to reaching their wits end. Lord, I pray that you would come alongside them and before them, behind them, around them, Lord, and give them rest, give them comfort, Lord, refresh them, give them joy, give them patience, remind them that what they're doing matters so much to you and your heart and bring people alongside of them, Lord, friends, family, and others to encourage them, to lift them up as they've taken on this this mantle of, of leading kids and parenting kids that are not their own. And Lord, we just also pray for the foster um, social workers, Lord, who are navigating this season and don't know necessarily um, how to do home visits and care for families and kids without being physically there. Give them wisdom through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and remind them of how important they are too. Lord, allow us to all be involved in this because this is truly an extension of your hands and feet. We thank you for the opportunity to serve. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sando. Appreciate that. And uh, we're going to get into worship now with our worship team. And then right after that, my friend Kevin Madsen has a fantastic message that you're not going to want to miss. Let's get into that now. You've overcome this world with love and made my fight your own. I lift my eyes, throw fear aside, sing out into the night. Cause even when the world caves, even when the fight calls, even when the wars wage, I'll take heart. I know you are greater, forever you are Savior. Sing your praise with all that I have, with all that I am, Lord. I stare down the waves because you own the tide. I still my soul and know you wait for me on waters wide where I 
the night, my hope alive in you. I'll walk through the fire and not be burned. Pray in the fight and watch it turn. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you. I won't let the storm weather my heart. Won't let the darkness beat me down. Sing in the night, my hope alive in you. I'll walk through the fire and not be burned. Pray in the fight and watch it turn. Well, hey everybody, welcome to Cornerstone. Uh, we miss you so much, we can't wait to see you. Uh, we're so glad that we can still gather together in thousands of little churches um, all over the Bay Area. And I just wanna say before we get started, I just wanna say thank you so much. Uh, so many of you have been faithful in, in your giving um, in this season. And we've been able to do so much uh, loving our neighbor during quarantine, during COVID-19, because we have partners like you that are uh, being so generous, that are giving what you can, knowing that, that we work together to take care of the people that God has, has entrusted us with. And so 
We've got some really cool stories of what we've been able to do that we're excited to share with you um, in the weeks ahead. But I just wanted to say thank you. Um, there's instructions about how you can give up here on the screen. Um, but thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, if, you, if you can give, please do, because uh, we're doing some really, really cool things to take care of the people in our community. And if you can't, that's OK, too. Um, you're in. You're just as much a part of our community as anybody else. And we're so thankful that you're here. Um, so before we get into this message, uh, I want to give you a bit of a warning. And that's that this message is, is really, it's really powerful. Uh, it's really, it's probably going to be one of the better messages you've ever heard. And the reason is simple. I have a mustache now. And that mustache, with that mustache comes power and authority and insight and a, and a new connection with God that I, didn't, that I didn't have before. I didn't realize how powerful this mustache can be. Um, and it's obviously sort of been threatening for some people around me because just, just about everyone in my life has told me how much they hate it. Uh, and they're saying things like, it looks like a caterpillar died on your lip. Or I remember I had a mustache like that when I was 12. Or you look like a recently disgraced vice principal. Or just a whole bunch of, of hurtful things that they've said to me. But I know, I know deep in my heart it's just because they're jealous. And um, they see what it's doing for me and it's threatening to them. So the good news for you is that I'm going to bring that energy uh, into this message. And obviously this is just a this is just a stupid quarantine coping mechanism uh, that I have because I, I quarantine sucks. Like, this is not, this has not been fun. This has not been great or peaceful or I'm mean, one of the things I've actually been struggling with through this whole season. Speaking of jealousy, speaking of being frustrated, is just just overly positive quarantine people. <clears throat> just people who who somehow seem to be having this like magical quarantine experience. And, and I think they might only exist on Instagram. Like I'm not sure that they actually exist in real life, but it's just, hey, this is me. And this is my 27 children that are all showered and bathed and eating quietly the healthy meal that I made for them after we all did homeschooling together. And we're all just learning so much and having this wonderful, peaceful experience. And I wish, I wish quarantine would go on forever because I'm just learning this valuable lesson about slowing down and being with the Lord. And that, <laughs> that is just not, that has just not been my experience. And uh, look, if this is you, just know that I will like your Instagram post and then I will immediately roll my eyes in jealousy and move on with my day because I'm happy for you, but also I've just felt heavy most days. And I felt this weird mix of anxiety and stress and also boredom, like all at once, which is a weird thing where it's like, how can I be so busy and not sit down all day and then also just be so bored at the same time? I don't know about you, but I've just been kind of muddling through it. I've just been kind of getting through every day. And yeah, some days are great and some moments are fun and I love my wife and I love my kids. But most days I feel pretty heavy. And the more I've been thinking and praying about that and trying to figure out what's going on and talking to my wife about it, 
I think I figured out part of why this has felt so heavy for me. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's for you too. And it's this, and it's what we're going to be talking about today. The illusion of control that I have lived my life with has been shattered. I've just been punched in the face with the fact that I am not in control. And that's always been true, but it's, it used to be three months ago, it was so much easier to convince myself that I am in control. I can build my own career. I can make sure my kids do well in school. I can make sure the people I love are okay. I can go to the store. The people in charge have some idea of what they're doing. The world is ordered. It makes sense. It's fair. It's predictable. I have some idea of what's going to happen tomorrow. I even found myself like early in the quarantine experience um, being the person, and I'm sure you had people like this in your life that were just like, and look for this number, and here's what's going to happen next, and I bet this new policy is going to come out, and here's why, and I'm realizing now that all I was doing was trying to control this thing that felt out of control because maybe if I could at least predict it, I would feel like I had some control over it. And I never had control. None of those things were ever true. But I, I used to think that maybe I did. And it's not just me. So much of our culture is built on this illusion of control. We get these messages, take control of your life, take control of your career, take control of your marriage, take control of your weight, take control of your future, take control of your anxiety, take control of your dandruff, take control of your life, take control with this weird margarine spread thing. I'm concerned about my cholesterol. Got a bike. Cutting back on junk food. But it's not all that easy. Fortunately, my wife Joy discovered a new spread called Take Control. Take Control is made from natural soybean extract. Studies suggest it helps lower bad cholesterol. That's why Take Control helps promote my healthy cholesterol levels. And it's delicious. New Take Control, your weapon to help promote healthy cholesterol levels. I, I genuinely believe that we don't make commercials as well as we used to. Um, so we might not outright say it, but I think implicitly we've absorbed these messages that we are in control. And along with that, if you're successful, you did that. You controlled all the variables, you hustled, you made it happen. And then the reverse of that, if you're in a tough spot, should have planned better, should have worked harder, should have kept things under control. I was listening to my dad preach on Psalm 23 last week and how sometimes it's hard for us to accept the fact that we actually have a shepherd and we actually aren't in control. And I was realizing that this is hard for all of us. I was talking to my grandma this week about control. She was saying, this is one of the hardest things for me. We want to convince ourselves that we're in control, that we can be sure of tomorrow, that we can plan out our idea of a perfect life and then we can make it happen. And that is just not a Christian idea. So today we're going to talk through Psalm 46 as the antidote to that illusion of control. Be still and know that I am God. And honestly, this idea has always been really tough for me. Um, I'm not still. That's not a word anyone would use to describe me. Even now, I need to stand still and look at the camera and stay in frame. And all I want to do is move around. 
I'm always hustling. I'm always strategizing. I'm always planning. I'm always moving. And I don't think that's bad. I think that's how God made me. But I'm realizing in this season that it's such a slippery slope between all of that action and moving and doing and thinking and planning and believing that all of that action means that I'm actually in control. So as we're talking through this, I don't want us to have this idea that who I'm preaching to here is some arrogant control freak that's constantly manipulating everything and puppet mastering everyone to their agenda. Although, yes, this message is for you. I'm talking about all of us. I'm talking about everyone who cares about anything and wants to make sure it happens. I'm talking about people that want good things. Anyone who's ever wanted to get into their dream school or have a baby or find the perfect partner or have a job they love where they feel like they could use their gifts or get in better shape or just make sure that they're healthy and that they're not sick anymore or just make sure the people that they love are okay. I'm talking about everybody. And accepting that you don't have control is so unsettling because part of the way we cope with the idea that everything is so fragile that the people we love aren't in our control, that the world often seems arbitrary and cruel and unfair. This, this incomplete and inadequate way that we deal with that is accepting the illusion of control. So today we're gonna to study Psalm 46 through that lens. We're gonna talk through control and stillness and God's mystery and unpredictability and God's goodness and hopefully we'll lay the groundwork for us to get to a place where we can develop real peace in the middle of all this weirdness. So go ahead, get Psalm 46 ready in your Bible or in your Bible app. But before we actually read it, here's something to keep in mind about how to read it. So if you, as very likely if you're watching this, an American in 2020, if you were thinking through an idea and you wanted to share it with others, you would probably structure it something like this. This is, this is what we learn in school. It, it comes from Dale Carnegie. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. You've got this intro statement, the meat of what you're trying to say is in the middle, and then you're wrapping it up in the end. But a lot of the Psalms aren't actually structured like that. They're structured, believe it or not, like poetry from the Middle East, from thousands of years ago. And so it's helpful to remember that and to know the forms and structures that they used with each other when they were trying to express ideas. Um, we have to read the Psalms and really all of scripture with humility, remembering that it wasn't written to an American mind in 2020. There are references and forms we don't understand. This psalm was written by the sons of Korah, who I don't know a lot about them. We don't know a ton about them. There's this word Selah that's all over the psalms, and we're not even sure what it means. Some of the psalms literally say in the intro, to the tune of, and it's a song with a tune the people of that time would know that we won't know. It's not to the tune of Happy Birthday, to the tune of Old Town Road or Baby Shark or whatever. So part of the fun of studying scripture is learning even how to do that. So before we read this psalm, I want to walk you through something that my, my theologian brother, Andy, who is my spiritual Sherpa, basically, he, what he taught me this week about how some of the psalms like this one are structured. So the basic idea is this. The writer tells you their starting point. The writer takes you on a journey. The most important point or the theme is right in the middle of the psalm. Remember we were saying with the way we think, it's usually at the beginning and the end. It's the opposite here. 
And then the writer re-examines their journey and their starting point through the lens of that most important point. So the words might not rhyme, but the ideas do. You'll see like, oh, the theme of verse eight kind of rhymes with the theme of verse two or seven rhymes with three or whatever. Here's another way to understand it that really helped me. The writer starts at the bottom of the mountain. The writer climbs the mountain and sees trees and rocks and cliffs and animals and oh, there's a canyon over there and they talk about it. Then the writer gets to the top of the mountain and their perspective changes. This is the most important point. This is where everything shifts for them. The writer goes down the mountain after the, their perspective is shifts, after their perspective shifts. But now the trees and the rocks and the cliffs and the animals that they saw on the way up, now they seem different. Because they've seen something on top of the mountain that changed their perspective on everything. So now let's read Psalm 46 with that in mind. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's start with verses one through four, which as you'll remember is that journey up the mountain. We have this poetic nature imagery about a world in turmoil, mountains and waters and seas and rivers trembling and roaring and being shaken and troubled. But we have a refuge, a God that protects us. And I don't know about you, but that feels very, very needed right now. As the actual physical world we live in feels unpredictable and dangerous in new ways. I can imagine it being written like this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Though the virus spreads throughout the land. Though tens of thousands pass away in its wake though we all be confined to our homes, though the economy tanks, though we're faced with the worst jobs report in history. But we have a refuge. And man, we need it. We need it right now. We need God, our refuge. We need to focus on God, our refuge, because it's true. God is our protector. And God has total dominion over the natural world. And this is a really tempting place to stop, right? The world can be scary, but God takes care of us. I'm even tempted in teaching it because I know how good it feels to just leave it here and go, the world is scary, but God is with us, and that's it. But if we're going to continue this climbing a mountain metaphor, where we're at right now is a false summit. 
A false summit is when you're climbing a mountain and your view as you look up is incomplete because you can't see the whole mountain because you're on the mountain. So you're just looking up and you can see where the horizon comes in and you just assume, well, that's the top, that's the peak. So internally you plan accordingly and you ration your energy and you manage your expectations accordingly. I just have to get to there. I bet that's an hour and a half and I'm tired, but I can do another hour and a half. I can make it. But then you get there and you look around expecting to see this 360 degree view and you go, I'm not at the summit yet. And this is a thing with mountaineering where mountain climbers will get to these false summits and because they haven't rationed their own energy and expectations, they turn around and go back down because they can't make it to the top. And if they would have known where the top was, they, they probably could have made it. And we can do that too. We can get to this point in the Psalm and then go back down the mountain with a true but incomplete picture of who God is. God is my shelter. God is my refuge, the thing that protects me, which on an eternal scale is absolutely true. If you back up far enough, Jesus fixed things. Jesus beat death. He already has protected us. He's given everything for us. Eternity is settled. But it's so easy to start with that God is my shelter truth and let it slowly become God my shelter who will handle things in a way that makes sense to me. God is my God who does what I need him to do. It's so easy to get there. I get there sometimes. But if that's all he is, then he's predictable and he's fully understandable. And honestly, he's small. He's my personal God who kind of works for me. He's my little Pokemon pet God that I carry around with me that will take care of me and do what I need him to do in a way that makes sense to me. But then what happens when God doesn't protect you? What happens when it doesn't matter how hard you work on your marriage? It still falls apart. What happens when you lose your job to a global pandemic that no one saw coming and you're looking at the job market and you're going, I don't know how I'm going to. And then you're looking at your budget and you're going, how much runway do we even have here? And you're going, am I going to lose my house? What happens when you've prayed for so, so long and then she still dies? I thought God was predictable. I thought I knew what he would do for me. I thought I had it under control. So did God fail? Was God asleep at the wheel? Wait, was this never real to begin with? Is this all a lie? This is why it's so important that we spend the time getting to know God well enough to understand what he actually did and didn't promise us. And part of the reason I care so much about this is I've seen some of my peers, people I love, call BS on this exact thing. This idea of a neat and tidy God who exists to make us happy. They reject that idea of God and they leave the church. Because that God doesn't adequately explain the world that they live in. So this isn't just a personal issue. This isn't just about creating a foundation of faith that's strong enough to survive hard things, although it is that. It's also about developing a view of God that makes more sense in the world we actually live in. And the view we have of God has to include the hard stuff or else people will just call BS and never engage with us. So now our opportunity is to go a little further, past this false summit, 
and we get the chance to confront and reconcile a truth that is more complicated, that doesn't fit as neatly on a greeting card, but it is so much less fragile. So let me tell you what I see in these verses as we get to the summit of Psalm 46 and then walk back down. At the summit, there's this 360 degree view of God that makes you feel small in a good way. I see the writer confronting the realization that God is so powerful, it's kind of scary. The earth melted. He's, he's saying, what desolations has God made in the earth? And I don't know about you, but that does not sound like my little pocket God. In the same way that on the way up, the writer's looking around at those rocks and trees and cliffs and the metaphor we were using earlier, and he's talking about God's power over the natural world. On the way down, having confronted God's immense power with that view that you only have at the top of a mountain, he looks inward to our world, to the wars and conflicts and terrible decisions that we make, and he sees God's complete power over those things. God doesn't just have power over the mountains and the rivers and the seas. He has power over me. His power over humanity. And then when he gets back to the bottom, it's, therefore, since God's power is God's power, be still. And I love that be still is at the end because what it says to me is that be still isn't the verb. Don't be still so that you can X or Y or Z. And what we're talking about here isn't be still in the context of some Instagram moment where you have your morning coffee and you did your morning devotion as the sun trickles in through the blinds in your perfectly decorated kitchen. Although those moments are amazing, those moments are great. I don't wanna talk about carving out time to be still in the morning, although that's awesome. I just don't think that's what's happening here. I see the writer going on a journey, coming to grips with God's power and arriving at be still. I see being still as the evidence that you're not trying to control things anymore. Not trusting in your own ability or ambition or intelligence, not striving to impress God with your good behavior. You just know God is God and that is okay with me. And I see this posture in the most mature Christ followers in my life. And it's usually older people or it's people who've dealt with really, really hard things and come out the other side with their faith intact. People who've seen tragedy, people who've seen racism, people who've seen unfairness, people who have hurt deeply. Stillness seems to me to be evidence of maturity and evidence of someone that knows God really well. So this whole pandemic thing provides all of us as followers of Jesus with an opportunity this is one of those hard times. This is one of those rare times when all of us are going through something hard. And yeah, this time is harder for some of us than for others, but it's hard for everyone. So right now, we have a chance to use this moment to push past that false summit with, with two choices as we try to reconcile who God is in the middle of all of this. There's this appealing but ultimately inadequate explanation of God's role in the hard things or there's this more complicated but less fragile truth. So there's our false summit, which is this. God is in control, and he'll take care of me and the people I love in a way that makes sense to me. And then there's the real summit. God is in control, and God is good. And those statements might seem similar, but the difference between them is everything. 
Because when you've convinced yourself of the first statement, when you've stopped at that false summit, then when something hard happens, you're not just confronting grief. Grief is hard enough. But when you layer in the confusion of believing that God broke a promise, even if God actually never made you that promise, that's when things spiral. That's when Christians fall apart. So let me just say it as plainly as I can. God never promised me a life of pure happiness. He never told me that I wouldn't grieve. He never told me that I wouldn't be confused or frustrated. In fact, he told me the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. So the truth we have to confront here is that God is going to do God things that we can't always predict or understand. He is our refuge, but also he spoke and the earth melted. See, he's God. He's, he's telling a story that is so much bigger than us. And the, the evidence of God's goodness has to be bigger than whether or not I feel good. So now we're going to pause for a minute. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a pause in the middle of the message and we're going to sing together. But I want you to stay here because after this song, I want to bring Jesus into this story. And I want to examine how the disciples dealt with this same unsettling realization that God has power over everything. And ultimately, I want us to see how the fact that God has power over everything, that fact is really, really good news for us because God is good. So I'll see you back in a couple minutes, but use this time to just sit in this weird moment where we're trying to figure out what to do when we feel out of control.
So we just sung about a storm, about keeping our eyes above the waves, about calling on the name of Jesus. And now we're going to talk about how the disciples met Jesus in a new way out on the water in the middle of a storm. So pretty early into Jesus's ministry, when the women and men who would spend years following him were just getting to know him. For context, Jesus called the disciples in Mark 3. The story we're about to learn is in Mark 4. So Jesus and his friends They're out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep, and then a huge storm comes. Mark describes waves crashing into the boat and water filling it up, and Jesus just kept sleeping. And the disciples very understandably freak out, and they wake Jesus up in a panic. Then Mark 4.39 reads, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So in the middle of a terrifying storm, the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat, The disciples are legit thinking, this is it. I'm about to die. Their lives are flashing before their eyes. It's terrifying. And then Jesus gets up and just says, peace, be still. And the storm storm stops. And you've got to have this feeling of just what just happened. And this story feels to me like an echo of Psalm 46. We have the words, be still. We have a demonstration of God's power that is amazing, but also kind of scary. 
and they respond with awe and fear and wonder and confusion all wrapped into one emotion. Hold on. And, and in a weird way, like what Jesus did is almost scarier than the storm itself because at least the storm made sense. They know about storms. They know about how the natural world works. But now all of a sudden they're realizing that Jesus plays by a whole different set of rules. The wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? This guy isn't just a wise teacher. This isn't just a new flavor of the month rabbi that I can learn from. And remember, these guys are Jewish and they've been raised in the Jewish tradition and there's only one person who can tell the sea what to do. The God that formed the oceans and parted the Red Sea and let the Israelites out of slavery, which by the way, is another be still moment in Exodus 14. Moses says, the Lord your God will fight for you. You need only be still. And then God parts the sea. And they can feel that in this moment. That callback will not be lost on them. So in this moment, the disciples are thinking, who is this and what is happening? And of course, I mean, if it was me in that moment, I'd be thinking, sure, this is all great right now when he's on our team, when he's in our boat, when he's calming the storm that was scaring us. But what happens if he switches teams? It's like when you're playing a game of pickup basketball, which is probably never going to happen again. And there's that one person who is way better than everybody else. And when somehow when you divvy up teams, that person ends up on your team. And the whole time you're like, this is fun right now. But later, I do not want to be guarding this person because I'm going to get smoked. It's like that, except way different and more important. I see the disciples right now getting to the top of the mountain in Psalm 46. They start confronting how much power Jesus has, and it's unsettling. But here's the hope for you and me. They ask this question, who is this? And I love that question because it's exactly the right question. This thing, this being, this has so much power and, and, and I have so little control over what actually happens. I can, I can make decisions. I have free will, but I have so little control over the things that actually matter to me. I can batten down the hatches. I can bail the water out of the boat. But this dude just made the storm stop. So they ask, who is this? What are they going to do with all this power? What is their char character? Are they good? Are they for me? Are they against me? Ultimately, it comes down to this, is the fact that they have all of this power. Is that good news for me? Or is that bad news for me? Is it better that I have the power? Or is it better that they have the power? And then they spend the next three years hanging out with Jesus, answering that question. Are you good? What about in this situation? What about when you're tired? What about when I'm a jerk? What about when I'm just wrong? What about when you're physically threatened? What about when you're totally misunderstood? What about when someone puts you on the spot in front of a bunch of other people and I know you didn't eat very much breakfast this morning and I know you got a terrible night's sleep. What about now? Are you good now? And as they get more and more sure that Jesus is God and they get more and more sure that God is good. It's not this simple, linear process. They make a ton of mistakes and they miss the point all the time, just like we do. And they don't like learn lessons permanently where, oh, I learned this and now I'm never going to need to learn that again. It's two steps forward and one step back, just like us. 
But then once and for all, Jesus proves both his goodness and his power in the most beautiful way on the cross and in the empty tomb. He sees how badly humanity has misunderstood God and he rectifies that on the cross. And then he shows us how he uses the power he has by defeating death and then handing that power over death to us. Here, the most destructive, evil, terrifying thing. I have all the power and control over that. And if you're with me, you have it too. I can just hear him saying, do you see? Do you see the scars? Can you trust me now? Can you be still now? Yes, I have more power than you can imagine. You've only seen like this much of it. Yes, I might not do things according to your plan, but here's just a glimpse of how good my plan is for you. So can you trust me? Can you be still? Guys, the way we feel about God's power doesn't change anything about the fact that he has it. The way we feel about the fact that we're not in control doesn't change anything about the fact that we're not. But like the disciples did after Jesus calmed the storm and freaked them out, if we can hang out with Jesus long enough to understand that he is good, that he is love, that he is for us, that he will ultimately use that power to bring about something that we never could have done on our own, then this is great news. And as someone who struggles with the idea of control, someone who spends a lot of time and energy convincing myself that I'm controlling things in my life, let me just say that the little moments I have where I'm actually okay with the idea that God's got this, it is so freeing. In those moments, I don't have to be a stressed out grown up. I can be a little kid in a good family. I don't really know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but it's okay, my parents know. I don't have to have everything figured out. It's not my job to have everything figured out. I can just be in this moment doing what I need to do. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Tomorrow might be good. Tomorrow might not be good, but I already know that God is good because he proved it to me. And that's why we have to get past this false summit, that small God whose goodness is no more than my happiness. Because then, come what may, we can be still, keeping our eyes above the waves, fixed on Jesus, being still. That's what I'm trying to get to in the middle of all of this weirdness. The only way I know how to get there is to focus all of my attention, all of my energy, all of my conversations, all of my reading, all of the songs I'm listening to on the goodness of God. Because the goodness of God means everything. So now we're going to take a minute and we're going to sing about that goodness of God. Goodness that the cross and the empty grave prove to us. I love you, miss you, can't wait to see you. Cross alone could be enough. You've already proved your love. The end. 
was a great song. We are so spoiled. Uh, I don't know how many churches in America have their worship team writing original music every week, but so good. 
And Kevin, thanks for opening that psalm to us. Uh, I don't know who these sons of Korah were, but they really wrote an amazing poem, and you unpacked it well. I'm going to be thinking a lot about that God that's at the top of the mountain instead of at the false peak, a God that wants me to come clear up to where it's kind of scary even, uh, where only he can be totally in control of everything that's going on. And that's a big, big God, and it's such a good reminder. Uh, It's my hope for each and every one of you uh, that joined us today is that this week you will allow God to take complete control of your unique situation and the different challenges that you've been facing lately. Let's all act like God is big enough to meet any challenge that we face. Thanks again to those of you who produced this service, and uh, we appreciate you so much for those that hosted it live as well. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And also to those of you who have set up recurring giving and that you're just so faithful with your giving. It's in your giving that we're able to continue to fuel our mission uh, for the East Bay and around the world. We've come into a lot of need lately, uh, but we've been able to meet every need because of your generosity. If you're new or kind of new, uh, there's a link here and a, a very short form for you to fill out. It'll take you less than 30 seconds, and it'll give us a chance to get to know you uh, better. And for everyone uh, who would like to uh, get to say get more involved, take your next step with Jesus, whatever that means, we've got a next steps link for you as well that you can uh, you can hit and uh, get more connected with us. Stay connected with us on social media. Don't forget to join us. Uh, Monday night for uh, Beyond Sunday live on YouTube. And until then, uh, and until next weekend, uh, when we'll be unpacking another psalm, I just want to say God bless you. I love you. Stay safe. And let's thrive through another week of this.